It's Michael Jordan's birthday, 59. But as Jordan Brand said, he'll always be 23 to us. Happy birthday to my boyfriend, my boo. He doesn't know it yet. One day he will. One day he'll wise it up. <laughs> it's Spain and Fitz, Teron Davenport in for Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We'll do, uh, I don't know, what, seven, eight segments on Michael Jordan tonight? Probably. That seems like... Seems like enough. The news of the day, of course, is Michael Jordan's birthday. Uh, other things to get to as well, though, and what better way to follow a celebration of Michael than to just degrade the Knicks for their <laughs> bad, 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 bad play, for their terrible choke of a loss last night. It's just synergy in my book. Uh, here in Chicago, those things go together uh, like a fine wine and a chocolate souffle. The Knicks last night uh, didn't just lose, didn't just blow a 28-point lead, but they lost to a Nets team that didn't have any of their stars. Uh, just not a one. Uh, what did you make of this, Tehran, besides it seeming to hammer home what we had already begun to recognize about the Knicks this season? Yeah, it's, what I made of this is, is Spike Lee, <laughs> uh, Tracy Morgan, <laughs> all those guys, man. Those poor guys, they, they just don't need to go to games anymore. But no, all jokes aside, I'm, it, what you saw was just a serious inability to to close a game, and it's something that, you know, you look at this team. Obviously, you know they're coming off a, a year in which they were the number four seed, and it's just like crazy how much different things are in in, in just such a, a short amount of time. Yeah, this is a team that outperformed expectation last year, and unfortunately. Uh, I have seen and believe them to be regressing to a mean that was probably more of an accurate look at, at what the team was last year. You saw guys like Randall um, make such giant strides that you weren't sure if that was something that could be re repeated again this year. Um, you also wonder whether it's the style of Tom Thibodeau. Uh, he does run players into the ground, whether it's just injury that's unrelated to the playing style, whether it's the makeup of a team that doesn't necessarily seem fit for the kind of coach he is. Um, when you get someone at the trade deadline and then that person barely plays, that seems like there might be some sort of issue between what the coaching staff is looking for and what the front office believes you need. Uh, Chris Canty, ESPN radio host today, talked about how he's not buying what everybody is doing, which is pointing the finger right at Coach Tibbs. Everybody around town wants to fire Tom Thibodeau, the guy that won Coach of the Year last year, whose team exceeded the over-under of 22-and-a-half that they had preseason in the 2020-2021 season by 20 games. They were the fourth seed in the Eastern Conference last year. And now all of a sudden, Knicks fans want to act like Tom Thibodeau can't coach. I completely disagree with it. The guy knows what the hell he's doing, but it's hard to have good rotations. It's hard to have confidence and be able to execute a game plan when you don't have guys that lock in and play the style of ball you want to play. Everybody knows Tibbs is a defensive-minded head coach. So why in the world did Leon Rose go out and move Get on shooters. from some defensive stalwarts yep. and bring in Evan Fournier and Kimball Walker? Guys are notoriously awful on the defensive side of the court. That's a great point, too. Not just at the trade deadline, but in the offseason, getting players that don't necessarily look like guys that fit into Tibbs' system. Yeah, and the thing is, right, the big addition, right, Kemba Walker, that was something that was supposed to help push this team over the top. But here it is, he and Thibodeau are, are clashing, right? He benched mm -hmm. him at one point. So 
that just it's a good example of how, as Bill Parcells used to say, you want me to cook the meal, let me get the groceries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a number of things that we saw last year at Spain and Fitz, by the way, Sarah Spain, Tron, Davenport in for Fitz that had us questioning whether that line or that arrow would keep going up for the Knicks or start to, to come back. And Julius Randle, who earned uh, most improved player, uh, career highs in usage rate, assist rate, three-point shooting, points per game. We all thought maybe he was that rare player who needed a little bit longer in the league to take that big leap. But instead, it feels like he he just regressed back to something closer than to who he actually is. The Knicks were also only 24th in offensive efficiency last season, despite Randall playing some of his, you know, obviously best basketball. Um, same goes for RJ Barrett. He improved points per shot. You know, he cut his turnover rate. Uh, he, he emerged as a much better three-point shooter than we imagined. And the expectation was likely that he wasn't going to keep building on that, but statistically might regress. You add into that that your expectation for Derrick Rose is to be able to give you a, a good season without injury. That's not the case and hasn't been ever with Derrick Rose, right? So the fact that he's been injured and missing time is a part of the story that you could have expected. And there were people, Tehran, who did expect that they would see this from the Knicks. Uh, but poor Knicks fans, after you give them just a little bit of that good stuff, they think they're going to get all the free agents and uh, Madison Square Garden's be back to rocking. <laughs> and here we are again. Yeah, it just uh, the more things change, the more they stay <laughs> the <right>. same. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I'm not tore up about it, I'll tell you that much. Happy birthday, Mike. Uh, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Toronto Davenport, in for Fitz. Speaking of things I'm not too torn up about, uh, the Lakers are struggling as well. Uh, you know, I hate to be a hater, but there is something to be said for these two teams that get so much coverage and so much hype, even in the moments that they're struggling. And for the Lakers, the struggles will, will only get worse from here because Anthony Davis injured again. You really hate to see it. And, and I, I hate people calling guys fragile or soft or brittle. Um, you can't control injuries other than the work that you put in. And, and I would imagine that Anthony Davis has done everything he could to stay out there. Unfortunately, bad luck again with an ankle injury and it has people talking Toronto about whether it's time for the Lakers to look for a full rebuild, and that would be not depending on AD as their future. In fact, trading him. Monic McNutt was on KG, uh, KJ and Max, I should say, this morning, saying she doesn't think they should make the move. I don't like the idea of trading AD. I'll be honest. Um, but his injury history has one that we have to acknowledge. Um, and again, in the trade conversation, you got to see who people want to add and what their value is. First of all, it's good news to hear it's only two weeks for him because that was ugly last night. And again, with his history, you just never know. Hopefully, that uh, assessment and that timeline remains true. But I think they got to stand pat. I think you have the opportunity to put some pieces around AD. We don't know what LeBron James is going to do in this offseason. And if he's, we know that he's not a guy that necessarily stays for places for an extended period of time, especially if the goal doesn't seem to be being accomplished. Um, so to me, that's the one piece that they have to potentially build around. I would hold Pat because this still is a double-double guy and a terrific defender in this league. Keep him or trade him, Teron? I would say keep him, and I agree with what Monica said. And the thing is, it used to be a point where, you know, you needed at least one star to be competitive. Now you need two to three. And as she said, there's no telling what LeBron James, his future is going to be. And if he leaves, what are they left with? Anthony right. Davis, he's, he's the face of the franchise without LeBron there, and that's pretty much all they have superstar-wise. So it would, in my opinion, be foolish to trade him, and especially doing that right now, his value is not high. So you're not going to get that big of, ret of a return. And, I mean, at 28 years old, it, it is time to see, like, okay, 
Are things starting to break down for him? If that's the case, then let's get him on some type of management program or something along those lines. But I definitely don't think you trade him because you're not going to get that big of a return. We'll keep talking about that, uh, whether or not they should hang on or not, a little later in the show. Did you know you can listen to Spain and Fitz commercial free? That's right. You can listen to all your favorite ESPN radio shows and much more without the ads on TuneIn, the best audio app for sports fans. Just download the TuneIn app to get started. Coming up on Spain and Fitz, what's happening at Barclays after the Nets' massive trade? Find out from Nick Friedel next. Happy Thursday, Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz is out. Tron Davenport hanging out today on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Let's talk a little bit more about New York basketball. The Nets getting the win last night underhanded. Shorthanded? Probably underhanded, too. It's the Nets, after all. Take it on the Knicks. Nick Friedel, ESPN NBA reporter who covers both teams for us. What's the vibe been, Nikki, out there since that huge trade went down for the Nets? Really good. And, Sarah, people hear me say that, and they're like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, they haven't about? been but, jinxed by you yet, apparently. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But the, <laughs> the reality is that the feeling is if Harden didn't want to be there and he made that abundantly clear behind the scenes, well, then they didn't want him here. And Bruce Brown, who's a shooting guard for the Nets, said it the other night. He said there was a team bonding experience in Miami. And everybody got back on the same page a couple days ago. And they lost that game against the Heat. But they've come back. They've won a couple. And they look like they're enjoying being together again. And you can't pin that all on Harden because they all respected him for how great he is as a player. But if he doesn't want to be on the team anymore and his play started to show that at the end of his tenure, then it's not going to work. So, the vibe around this team is surprisingly good, and that's saying something given that they just lost 11 in a row uh, over the last couple of weeks. But this is a team that I really believe can make a push after the break because you're going to get Kevin Durant back. Simmons is going to come back at some point, and the Nets are still holding out hope that this rollback on the vaccination mandate in New York City can happen, and that would mean that Kyrie can be a full-time player again. I saw you, you wrote about uh, Patty Mills saying that he saw a fire built up in, in Ben Simmons. All right, listen, man, I, I've watched Ben Simmons a lot. You know, he, he doesn't shoot that rock, and there, there are issues. He does play good defense. But how do you see him fitting in with this Nets team and, and really helping push them to a, a, a playoff run? Teron, I think he's really going to be good for them. And I say that because his strength, the perimeter defense, getting the ball up and down in transition, making plays for other people around him. Those are all places where the Nets are deficient a little bit. And I think the basketball fit is really solid. And you mentioned Patty Mills. I think that part of this is crucial, guys, because the Nets feel like they have a perfect landing place for Simmons. He has known Patty Mills for years, dating back to their time with the Australian basketball program. He's known Kyrie Irving for years, long before he got to the NBA. So those two guys have made it very clear, we're going to welcome him with open arms. And we're going to make sure that he feels comfortable. So on top of that aspect of fitting into the locker room after all that happened in Philly, from a basketball standpoint, I think it's a really, really solid move, not only for whatever happens the rest of this year, but for the next few seasons, because Simmons can help them out the floor with his playmaking ability 
And if he can get a little more confident shooting and knocking down free throws, that's one thing. But they have guys who can do that already. And I think that will be shown to be very crucial as Simmons makes his way back into the league. It's Spain and Fitz, Tron Davenport in for Fitz tonight with me, Sarah Spain on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, talking to Nets reporter Nick Friedel, who works for the Worldwide Leader, covering a number of teams. And I want to get to Tibbs and the Knicks in a second, but quickly I wanted to ask you, because there's been so much commentary from outside of Ben Simmons and his camp about his mental health, about the change of scenery, about expectations for him to continue working with his mental health specialist, even as he's switched teams. Do you have any indication of how long it might be before he joins, and what his sort of approach to dealing with the accusations or criticisms of his um, fresh attitude with the Nets might be? Sarah, as far as the timeline, nobody has a clear one right now. It really depends on when he feels comfortable. And when that will be is anyone's guess at the moment. I would think with the shape he came into, and by all accounts is very good shape, once he's been around the Nets these last few days since the deal went down, that physically I think he's in a pretty good place. He's got to learn the system, and they've got to make sure that mentally he's feeling good enough to go out there. Now, as far as the mental health goes, he answered the questions during that introductory press conference, but it's one thing to say, all right, I'm feeling like I'm in a good place, and it's another thing to get back out on the floor and listen to what will assuredly be a lot of people telling him, (laughs) <laughs> and he's still not very good and can't shoot it and on and on and on. So there's, of course, going to be a lot of focus on whether or not he plays in that Philly game. That's March 10th. You would think he'd be back by then, but that's just a guess at this point. Anybody who knows for sure isn't talking because they're waiting for Simmons to set the tone and tell the Nets which direction he wants to go. When you look at Kyrie, you, you mentioned Kyrie and uh, the situation with the, the, the rollback there. Do you think that it was more than just James Harden who, who had the issue? Because you know what he said, you know, about having players willing to do whatever it takes to win. Teron, I think the big thing with Kyrie is, and it's another one of the, the storylines that people always kind of look at me in regards to the Nets, and they're like, really? The young players on this team love him. They love him. They respect him. They say that the vaccination stuff doesn't come up. Uh, Now, do I think that that was one of the factors in play for Harden? 100%. Because go back to that game against the Bulls a few weeks ago where they dominated in Chicago in the second half. Harden got up from the press conference table and said, I'm going to give Kyrie the shot myself. So you can't tell me that that wasn't something that was weighing heavily on him as he made his decision. And whether or not there's another veteran or two who are kind of rolling their eyes behind the scenes, there could be. But I'm here to tell you that Kevin Durant at every turn has stood up for Kyrie. He has said that they will will take what they can get from him when they can. And everybody's hoping, at least in the organization, that there's that rollback. But player to player, when you're talking to these guys on a human level, They love the guy, and they are just glad that he's able to give them what he can when he can right now, given the circumstances. Nick Friedel is with us here, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Tron Davenport in for Fitz. Let's talk Tibbs because I've been of the opinion for a bit here now, and it seems to be proving correct, that last year a lot of luck 
went into the Knicks' success. There were players outperforming expectation in terms of statistical um, shooting, and they're sort of just regressing back to what you might expect from a lineup that is made up of this collection of players. But a lot of fingers being pointed at Tom Thibodeau, that this is a coaching issue, that this is the same old story of him running players into the ground. Do you think that that's the issue for the Knicks, is Coach Tom Thibodeau? I don't think it's the biggest one, Sarah. And I, I've heard the criticism since I, I moved here about five weeks ago. And then I started watching the Knicks. And there is no question that Tom deserves plenty of blame for the, the season that hasn't been so far for New York and how it got to this point. They are not playing like the Tibbs teams that we saw that had so much success early in his tenure in Chicago. But if he's learned anything over time and he's known it uh, for however many decades he's been in the NBA at this point, you need talent to win. And in listening to Tibbs postgame last night after the the Knicks blew another 20-plus point lead, this time 28 against the Nets, what Tibbs was trying to say and spin was, hey, the young guys have to come together. We've got to give them time to grow. We've got to give them space to, to kind of find their way. And that's not something we're used to hearing from Tibbs. What we always heard, especially early in those Bulls days, was we've got more than enough to win. It doesn't matter where the game is, when the game is, you have to find a way to win. And so he is trying to spin that this is a young team that, that still has a long way to go, but the reality, when you look at that roster, and this speaks to your point, the Knicks just don't have a lot of talent. And if Julius Randle isn't playing at the level that he played at last year, Derrick Rose gets hurt, he's been out for a month plus, they don't have a lot of other answers on that roster. So if you're Tibbs, you, you can throw out any line that you want. But talent wins in the NBA. It always has. And the Knicks just don't have enough of it at the moment. Awesome stuff, Nick. Uh, hope you're hanging in there with all the uh, the craziness around the Nets as you're taking over that beat. Appreciate the time. <laughs> all my life has prepared me for this moment. That's right. I, I was going to make That's it right. somehow. All right. I'll see you in New York in a couple weeks. <laughs> Deal. Davenport in for Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, one of the big stories of the last couple days. Uh, the federal jury investigation into former Angel staffer Eric Kay. Today he was found guilty of distributing fentanyl and causing the death of former Angels pitcher Tyler Skaggs. ESPN investigative reporter TJ Quinn at the trial throughout reporting for us. He joins us now. TJ, can you sort of enlighten us on exactly what they were deciding on today as they were deciding whether Kay was guilty? Well, it came down to a couple. I mean, there were two narratives that the jury essentially had to choose from. One was the government's, which was Eric Kay was a drug dealer who was operating inside the Angels clubhouse, that he gave Tyler Skaggs uh, the drugs that he took that night, that those drugs had fentanyl, and that's what caused his death. Um, Eric Kay's side of it was these guys were two fellow addicts who – you know, both caught up in an opioid addiction that they had an arrangement with each other where Skaggs said, I'll pay for the drugs if you do the transactions, that it was unfortunate, but that Tyler Skaggs was ultimately responsible for his own death. And the jury did not take too long to think about it. I mean, it was shocking how quick that verdict was. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, because they, they came to a verdict so quickly. Did it surprise you that even the result, you know, the guilty result, did that surprise you? 
Well, I mean, the the, the speed of it did. Um, you know, I try to keep an open mind because I'm not a lawyer and, you know, I just don't know. And I've covered enough trials to know you can never guess what's going on inside a jury's head. But the legal experts I've been speaking to said they felt like, you know, there was a good chance that the jury would would hang, you know, that they would not come to a verdict um, depending on how each of them saw this case. Um, you know, I personally, I, I don't know, I'm totally unqualified <laughs> to guess, but people who were qualified told me that they were shocked and that they never they they thought maybe the government had made its case, but they didn't see it as this kind of slam dunk. Yeah, the government had to establish that no one but Kay could have given him those pills, that it wasn't the pills plus alcohol plus the asphyxiating on his vomit, but the actual fentanyl that was the cause and that he had to have given to them in the state of Texas. There was a number of things that they had to prove, and eventually it became essentially the the belief that but for the fentanyl, he would still be alive, and that ultimately is the ruling factor in them deciding that, that it was Kay who was responsible, yes? Yeah, it is. And, you know, two and a half years ago when this happened, um, in, in the months after when, you know, we were doing our reporting on it, I spoke to a couple of very well-placed law enforcement officials who said that the DEA was investigating this, but that the Los Angeles field office had decided they weren't going to pursue. The U.S. Attorney's Office there said they weren't going to file charges. And that the DEA office in in Dallas um, was was not expecting charges to be filed. Um, there just was there there wasn't this immediate sense that a crime mm. had taken place. It was right. a tragedy, but that he wasn't necessarily responsible. So it was a surprise when the government, you know, about a year afterward, fought, ended up filing or getting the indictment from the grand jury. Um, especially because the original autopsy report did not say that the fentanyl killed him. He, Tyler Skaggs, asphyxiated on his vomit. And the autopsy, the official finding from the Tarrant County Medical Examiner was that it was an accidental death. So it didn't seem like there was a, a crime to pursue. And then finally, when the government you know, announced the indictment, they said that it was later determined that the fentanyl was the but for what you what you just said, but for right. the fentanyl, he would be alive. The jury agreed. Now Matt Harvey clearly had somewhat of a role in everything that was going on. He had the immunity, but what is he facing? Like, what kind of uh, backlash or, or, or consequences is he facing? And again, obviously not legal, but outside of that. Yeah, he's he, because of that immunity, he can't be prosecuted for anything that he said. And he did admit to cocaine use and to giving Tyler Skaggs pills, uh, oxycodone, you know, in the clubhouse. Um, but that doesn't restrict Major League Baseball at all. And I spoke to officials yesterday who said that, yeah, his admission on the stand that um, that he not only took but distributed drugs to them that qualifies as. You know, they that they believe they can suspend him. Now, who knows if Matt Harvey will ever get another job in Major League Baseball. But if a team did want to offer him a contract, he's facing uh, a 60 to 90 day suspension as soon as, as soon as he signs. Um, now, he has a right to appeal. Um, he can go through that whole process, but Major League Baseball would go after him. 
It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Teron Davenport in for Fitz. We're talking to TJ Quinn, who's done excellent work covering the uh, investigation and eventual guilty verdict for Eric Kay, the Angels staffer found guilty of distributing fentanyl and causing the death of former Angels pitcher Tyler Skaggs. If people want to hear the very nitty-gritty details of all of this, TJ did a fantastic job on ESPN Daily with Pablo. And at the end of it, he asked you what we learned about baseball. And you had a very eloquent answer about... Um, what we've learned in, in the bigger picture about how baseball is not immune to the same issues of opioid abuse that, that we see across uh, the world, across the country and society. But I wonder if you drill down into baseball itself, if there's something else to be said about how the league should handle what could be more widespread uh, issues of addiction, both recreationally and with opioids. Yeah, I mean, if you're Rob Manford right now or anybody in his office, you're facing the prospect that it is pretty unlikely that the five players or six with Tyler Skaggs who were identified as opioid users only did it during that period of time in the Angels clubhouse. And that none of those players or other players used before or after they were with that team. When I spoke to major league officials back in 2019 after Skaggs died, what I was told was they were going to let the DEA do its investigation and then piggyback off of that. Well, no one really expected that it would take two and a half years to finally get a verdict in this case. And my understanding is that baseball has not done much in the meantime. Um, they did change the policy so that now they can test people uh, for opioids and for cocaine. Before, you had to have cause to do that. So unless they had some you know, credible reason to establish that these guys were, were using in the past, they had no ability to test them. Now they do. But from my understanding, now is when they're really going to begin their own investigation. And as far as that drug use that was clearly there in, in the Angels locker room, and it's it's something that it's easy to assume that it's in other locker What can they do? Uh, just You mentioned, you, you know, having cause, but what could they do to try to curb the the usage uh, that, that, you know, is clearly going on? You know, it's a great question, and it's, you know, the teams, in my experience covering baseball, you know, my first year on a baseball beat was 1996, and there has long been this relationship that the players, whatever you do outside, you know, is your business. And, you know, no one's going to ask you to defend yourself as long as you can still get on the field. So, you know, we're at a point now where teams are just going to have to take a more active stance if they really want to know what's going on. Imagine there's going to be education and then also, uh, you know, like we said before, more widespread testing. TJ, thank you so much for the excellent work covering this. Thank you so much for giving your insight to the show. We know you've had a long day. Appreciate it. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Great stuff from TJ Quinn, ESPN investigative reporter. You can listen to his conversation with Pablo on ESPN Daily if you want all the nitty-gritty details. Really good stuff by both of them covering that story. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance, protecting small businesses with specialized coverages for commercial vehicles. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Coming up, not the greatest day for the U.S. Olympic team yesterday and a shocking result in figure skating. We'll get into it quick next. I was real fired up all of last night's show. A little pregame action, hating on Canada ahead of the USA-Canada hockey match. And I have to admit, I was being extra hopeful about our U.S. women's team taking out a Canada team that had just bulldozed everything in its path leading up to the gold medal match. And 
They kept it close. I will give them that. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Teron Davenport, in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Yeah, Olympics last night, uh, things didn't go exactly as we would have liked. Teron, USA-Canada hockey match usually goes to overtime, to a shootout, back and forth, incredible tension throughout. And unfortunately, slow start for the U.S. women last night got them down 2-0, then 3-0. They cut it to 3-2 by the end, but that last goal was just kind of garbage time. There's only 12 seconds left to try to catch up, and Canada was faster and stronger and better. U.S. didn't use – they really just focused on the top two lines, so they were pretty gassed. Uh, and it was a disappointing outcome for uh, for the rematch to something that four years ago was literally one of the greatest sporting events I've ever seen. So I was sad. I was bummed. Yeah, I mean, Canada, like you said, they blew through it, and now they, they have the Olympic and World Championship title mm-hmm. at the same time. And I guess and soccer. It's... They beat us in soccer, too, at the last Oof. Olympics. What the yeah. hell, Canada? <laughs> The neighbors up north, uh, yeah, they're not so America's friendly. Hat <laughs> is not doing us right. We'll give you, we'll give you, you know, lacrosse and and, and hockey, but soccer too. Come on now. Uh, I think the saddest part for me is uh, I've become friends with Kendall Coyne Schofield, who's the captain of the women's team. She has a great book out called As Fast as Her, and I recently had her on the podcast to talk about the book, which I read in its entirety. And you read about the amount of work and effort and sweat, blood and tears and money that goes into becoming the greatest at what you do. And she is one of the greatest. And then you recognize that a moment like last night can be a a life changer, not only for the women out there skating, but the next generation and Kendall and those players after the loss are already talking in that moment, not just about the disappointment, but about what it means for USA women's hockey to not win. That after this two weeks, it can't just disappear. The resources, the investment, the time, the energy, the attention can't just go away until the next Olympics. And that's what's so tough for so many women in these sports is that they know that they represent themselves and they also represent the sport at large. And whether or not their own federation will cut the BS and actually give them uh, time and resources and whether their communities will do so. So that hurts kind of doubly so. I couldn't imagine the pressure that, that they have on themselves, you know, knowing that it, this is almost a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for them. And just like you said, how much of, of the uh, the sports popularity rides with, with them being able to win. That's That's got to be a lot of pressure on them. Well, speaking of pressure, uh, any Olympic is I- event is going to be incredibly pressure-filled, but especially so when you're in a sport that doesn't get a ton of attention outside of the Olympics, right? If you're playing basketball – if you're if you're playing even soccer where there's also World Cups, but if you're someone like Michaela Schifrin in the skiing events, outside of the very insulated ski world when you go to World Championships and such, this is when the all eyes are on you. And she had uh, objectively, I guess not objectively, it was without question a disastrous outcome in Beijing. She uh, had her third. DNF did not finish at the games. She looked to win a third straight gold. She looked to start to overtake Lindsey Vaughn in people's minds as the greatest skier, American skier of all time. And instead, she could not finish her races. She had already failed to finish her best, the slalom and the giant slalom, earlier in the games. But then she got into the combined and started out well enough, sitting in fifth, that the way that she that she does uh, the the 
second half of the combined event, she was expected to be to be great uh, heading into that slalom run, and she didn't finish. And afterwards, she kind of just said she felt like a bit of a joke that she could find some positives in some of the uh, some of the skiing she did in practice runs and everything else, and she was feeling good that she was able to get back up and try. But uh, the messages she got, the the awful things that people said to her because of her uh, failures. Uh, you kind of just don't understand, Tehran, how people couldn't understand that you spent a lifetime working for something. It's tough enough to lose. You don't need to get called a choker, narcissist, dumb, blonde disgrace. Yeah, and the thing is, who do you think <laughs> that incident impact more, her or, or these morons that, that are right. sending the messages? And I, I just, like, I, I'm really big on the power of positive thinking. And the, the one thing that I didn't like about it is she said that, you know, when she skied out in the giant slalom and in and, and the slalom, she said that that kind of haunted her. And it was yeah. something that she was thinking about. And, I mean, you're a former athlete. You know. You can't go into your sport thinking, what if this happens? You have to go in just doing your job. And that's so unfortunate that the mental side of it just kind of like, you right. know, piled into the physical side and then she had that incident. Yeah, we always say PMA, positive mental attitude, to the point that you're supposed to visualize the whole race before right. you run it or ski it or do whatever. But I think that's easier in some other sports than it is for an incredibly difficult sport of, of, of ski racing because you have to decide before. I, I also recently had Lindsay Vaughn on my podcast, and I read her entire book, and you have to decide before the races whether you're going to attack, whether you're going to err on the side of going a little slower with the safety side of it so that you're not going to – a DNF, but you maybe take a little time off and you have to have your own personal style. And so there is maybe that element of her thinking, if I'm, if I'm going to crash at that same gate, do I approach it differently? Do I ski it differently? And there, you got to balance like strategy versus letting that doubt or concern get into your mind. You would never think that so much of that goes into skiing. And, and that's, no. that's the, the really cool so part about watching yeah. it, you know, and, and digging into it. It's definitely dangerous. I mean, listen, you couldn't pay me enough to get on one of those slopes. So, hey, I tip my cap to her. The thing that I really like, though, is she'll have a, a chance, you know, at, at a little bit of redemption on Saturday with the team parallel slalom. So, hopefully, you know, she'll be able to, to still, uh, you know, go ahead and, and get a medal. Yeah. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Tron Davenport, filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio. Don't forget, NBA's All-Star Weekend starts tomorrow night with the Clorox Rising Stars radio coverage presented by Indeed. Begins at 9 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. Uh, Ayo Desunmo on the Bulls, so you're keeping your eye on at the Rising Stars. Uh, what we were keeping our eye on last night, which I believe is going to air during primetime tonight, if you haven't watched it yet, is the women's figure skating free skate. And... Camila Vileva was uh, allowed to skate despite a positive test for a banned substance that's performance enhancing. Uh, we all have so many questions about why she was allowed to compete, whether you're 15 years old or not, whether it's going to be tough on your mental state. Uh, the Olympics said they were worried about it causing her irreparable harm if she was disqualified for doping. What about the irreparable harm of the people she's competing against that spend their whole lives prepping for something and then don't believe they're in a clean competition? I guess mm. that wasn't as big of an issue for those making the decision. But spoiler alert, and go ahead and close your ears if you haven't watched it yet or seen it yet. She did not win. And this is a huge deal, Tron, because before the doping and the positive test in the team skates, you could hear from the experts, you could hear from the uh, um, announcers that they believe her to be the greatest skater of all time. 
at 15, already the perfect balance of artistry and the jumps. And the fact that she faltered so badly, slipping and falling so many times and still ended up in fourth tells you the level of difficulty and tells you also that she was probably very weighed down by everything that had gone on all week. Yeah, it, it was almost equally as traumatizing as being disqualified would have been. They have to go right. through that and, and deal with all the scrutiny because, you know, hey, I personally was upset about that because, I mean, we talked about it. Shikari Richardson, she didn't get to compete, right? So why is, is this young lady getting to compete? And I couldn't imagine, like, you know, what she was going through. And it, it's you never wish failure on anybody. So I want to be clear about that. But it's just kind of interesting the way the universe has a way of balancing out, right? And I'm not yeah. saying balancing out for her, but balancing out for her country for putting her through that. Yeah, and then the criticism also for her coach, who as she's coming off the ice before anything, you did your best, good job, it's okay. Why did you let it go? Why did you st stop fighting? Explain it to me. Why? You let it go after the axle. Why? Um, so screaming at this 15-year-old who's had this incredibly tough week and who, again, I don't know for sure, but when you're competing for a country that doesn't even get to c compete under its name because you are that uh, riddled with, with previous incidents of steroid abuse and doping, I, I'm probably not blaming the 15-year-old superstar. I'm probably assuming that this is a yet another coordinated effort by the country uh, to try to win. And so that makes it doubly sad if she was a pawn in their efforts. Uh, Icarus, if you haven't seen it, go watch that. Uh, see if you can muster the uh, courage to watch Russia compete in anything without presuming that they're all doing something like that. Hey, Packers have started to make their moves to keep Aaron Rodgers. We'll ask if it'll make him stay next. Our ESPN NFL Nation Packers reporter Rob Domovsky reporting today that one of the coaches Aaron Rodgers has long credited for his development early on in his career is coming out of retirement to become the QB's coach for the Packers, Tom Clements. What does that mean for Rodgers' future, and what about all the other quarterbacks who might be headed to new destinations this offseason? We'll get into it next. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Tron, Davenport, filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Let's make it Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. To give you the straight talk, it's ESPN NFL insider Dan Graziano. Dan, thanks for the time. Hey, it's my pleasure. How are you guys doing? Pretty all right. Uh, I'm wondering if you think there's still an opportunity that, or, or likelihood that Aaron Rodgers will leave now that uh, they're bringing in his boy. <laughs> I do think there's a possibility. I don't know where his mind is on this, but I think there's always been a possibility that he would leave after this season and that his mind has been made up for a while. We'll find out soon, I would think. I mean, they got to know by March 8th whether they're going to franchise Devontae Adams. Like, I mean, in the next couple of weeks, this is going to have to make itself clear. But uh, my understanding of this, and it, 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 it uh, follows along with Rob Zamoski's reporting, is that, that this hiring of Tom Clements is not uh, a sign that Rodgers has said he'll be back. It's another effort. <laughs> the, the Packers, what's going on with the Packers, it reminds me of the movie Notting Hill. Like, they're just a team standing in front of a quarterback. <laughs> asking him to love them. And, and that's what this is going to be until they get an answer one way or the other. And, and, uh, and, and I don't think they know how it's going to go. Look, they, they definitely want him back. But they also want everyone in the world to know that if he leaves, it wasn't because they didn't try. Right? right. They, they want their fan base to know we did everything we could. And so this is all part of that. That's really interesting how that's working out. But one guy who is also – under the microscope 
as far as leaving is, is Russell Wilson. But he said that he wanted to stay. So how do you see yeah. that whole situation working out? Does Seattle trade him? Or do they keep him and, and continue to build? What are your thoughts on that? Well, there are a lot of teams that are sort of monitoring uh, Teron, the Russell Wilson market. And, um, you know, I don't think anybody really knows what's going to happen. Seattle does not want to trade him. They do not know where they would go at the quarterback position if they did. Uh, and uh, Wilson hasn't requested a trade that we know of. Um, but if the dissatisfaction that we know he was starting to, to feel and express with regard to the organization, should that resurface this offseason? Should he get a wandering eye? Um, should the contract situation come into play? He's got two years left. As, as you know, any highly paid quarterback that signed more than three or four years ago and, and has sort of maintained his excellence, uh, he's a little bit underpaid relative to what quarterbacks are getting these days. So he probably would like either from the Seahawks or from an acquiring team a new contract. So uh, if the Seahawks don't extend him, I, I think that's a sign that the situation remains unresolved and he could end up asking them for a trade. But as of now, that's a, that's a situation that seems to be in a bit of a holding pattern because it doesn't seem as if Russell Wilson has made his desires and intentions known. I know what he said uh, in the press conference or the interview, whatever, but I mean, you know, you guys both know a lot of stuff that gets said is just stuff that gets said and and doesn't end up being, you know, the truth. Russ's cap number for 2022, 37 million Seahawks would be stuck with 31 million in dead money if they traded him. So unless they've got yeah, some you know, really that, big plan. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, that used to be a lot, you know, but now like in the post Wentz and Goff era, right. like that, 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 yeah, dead but you money, have to that, get much teams, better teams for that, with that not to be a lot. Right. I mean, that's the point is if you had right. a dead weight quarterback, you're willing to eat that, but why would you eat that yeah. and get rid of Russ unless you're bringing something in that's going to make you significantly better? Let's ask about both those guys, Russ and Rogers. Um, is there a better option for those teams? And is there a better option for those guys if they leave? I don't think there's a better option for those teams. I think no matter what happens, if those guys leave their teams, uh, then their teams are downgrading. Uh, unless unless they're traded for each other, uh, but that that'd be fun. <laughs> but no, anyway, I, I think it, now I think it's they, the parent they, they, trap instead to, of uh, Notting Hill. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> There's all kinds of everything comes back to movies. Um, the uh, I, I think you know both teams would be in a situation where they'd have to find a replacement. Now, look, the Packers drafted Jordan Love in the first round two years ago, which is kind of what a lot of this is all about. Uh, so would he be ready, or would they have to bring in a veteran? to compete with him or to play instead of him if, if it turns out that wasn't a good pick. And Seattle, we don't really know what, where they would go. This was an issue last year when Russell Wilson was handing out, you know, lists of <laughs> preferred trade destinations right. to Adam Schefter. Um, and Seattle didn't want to do it because they didn't, you know, they, did, they didn't see a, a guy they could draft, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yeah, I think there would be a situation where both of these teams would end up in something like a rebuild, right? Could they retool quickly if, if Green Bay got the right quarterback and kept the rest of the roster intact? Could they could they turn it around quickly? Yeah, maybe. But I, I do think you'd be looking at a situation where teams are starting over at the quarterback position from a from a sort of a lower level than they're at now. When you look at you're talking about getting out of uh, contracts and getting better. Obviously, the Rams that was the situation what they were able to do with Golf and Stafford. Do you see another type of perfect storm like that uh, for, for this upcoming offseason? I think we were talking about this on Get Up this morning, and I think, um, you know, a lot of this is 
you have to you have to sort of already be a good team in order to do what the Rams did with Stafford, right? Dump first round picks for sort of the missing piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think the Rams were already a playoff team, and they had gone to the Super Bowl with Goff. So they felt like this you know, it's an incremental upgrade, but an important one. So I I look at teams like you know the New Orleans Saints, right? The Pittsburgh Steelers, teams that that are probably already good and have something you know have a, a great defense or a strong offensive line or good weapons on offense, and that if you just add you know, sort of just add quarterback, uh, you could see drawing a parallel between their situation next year and what the Rams did this year. So that, that's what I would look at is, is teams that sort of feel like they're, they're good, but could we become great if we upgrade at this position? Um, honestly, I know, like, I, that, Teron, the team you covered, like, I, I know that I, yeah. I believe they're committed to Tannehill. They are. Like, the, theoretically, right, if they weren't, like, if they felt like they'd gone as far as Tannehill could take them, then – I think they would be like a team that would, would be in position to make a move like that, right? Oh, maybe we get Aaron Rodgers and we go from, you know, one seed who was knocked out in the second round to Super Bowl champion. So that's the, and again, that's a hypothetical because I know yeah, they're not going to do that, but that, that would be, I think, a parallel situation. Dan Graziano with us here on Spain and Fitz, Tron Davenport in for Fitz tonight. We invoked Carson Wentz's name earlier, but let's actually get into it. It doesn't feel like the Colts have a whole lot of options here. What do you think is going to happen next for them? I think the Colts are going to poke around and look for an upgrade. Uh, and if they can't find one, then they probably run it back with Wentz and hope that the, year, the second year under Frank Reich uh, ends better than the first did. Because they were okay with Wentz for most of the season. Uh, but then at the tail end of the season when they needed him, not only did he not come through, but he actively damaged their chances. And, and that, that's, that's what really left a bad taste. So uh, I think they'll look. I don't, I don't, the Colts are always – Loaded with cap space, this year's no exception. I do believe that if if they found the right opportunity, that they would be okay with with swallowing the uh, you know the, the fifteen million dollar guarantee that they already owe Carson Wentz and and moving on from him. But you know that would be they would they would have to get somebody good. I mean they they would have to get they would have to be in this you know Rogers Wilson. I, I don't they're not going to get the Sean Watson because Houston's not going to trade him to a division team, but. You know, that kind of thing. If they could get involved in that, then I think they'd be willing to move on from once. And who knows? Maybe they'd find somebody to take them off their hands. Yeah, and they still also have to react to giving up all of their brain trust to the Chicago Bears. I mean, I just don't know how their defense can recover after giving everyone away to, to my Bears. Yeah, got uh, Gus Bradley, right? And he, he didn't come in to coach the Colts <laughs> defense. I think that's yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think they'll be all right. Uh, Dan, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. I'm still trying to figure out who the uh, tall, lanky neighbor in Notting Hill is in Green Bay. Uh, I, I'm going to keep. Hmm. I'm going to keep workshopping that. Figure out who who plays that I'm, part. I'm in, on the pleased Packers. to have been able to put that in your head. And good luck. With it. <laughs> Dan Graziano, NFL reporter, giving you the straight talk. Brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract. No compromise. Coming up, lots to get to in a short amount of time. Quickies on MLB and more next. Good news for my reigning champion, Chicago Sky, after some questions about who might return to try to run it back and some really serious-sounding rumors about Courtney Vandersloot and Allie Quigley potentially holding out because of a, uh, an, a low, low offer to Sloot. They're back, and so is Kalia Copper. So we got Copper, we got Sloot, we got Quigley. Of course, we got Parker and everybody else. And we're going to run it back, Teron. Well, that's the news you like to hear in the offseason when your team is a champion. You want to bring back the crew and you want to run it back. 
what happens usually when you win a championship? You, you lose pieces. So to be able mm-hmm. to come back full tilt and be able to give it another shot, that's definitely exciting. I know you're excited about that, so congratulations. Yeah, we lost Stephanie Dolson to New York. Uh, there's a couple pieces in and out, uh, but th- you keep the core. And one of the interesting things when you've got a married couple on your team is when one of them hints that they might not come back, you got to worry about both. <laughs> uh, so when we heard that maybe they weren't giving Sloot the kind of offer she deserved, there were some questions about Quigley, who has got, I mean, just unbelievable statistics. Uh, and, and you need both of them out there. Uh, so thankfully, Vander Quiggs have been signed. Copper KFC is back. So uh, just look out for my sky is what I'm saying. All right, next story. All right, so speaking of quickies, that MLB meeting today was was a true quickie. Uh, 15 minutes uh, between MLB and MLBPA. I guess that's all it takes. It's all solved. The season is start. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm hearing now that they didn't solve anything in that 15 minutes. Uh, shocking, Teron. Opening day is still in question. I, I just still can't understand how they can't come to some type of agreement. Just when you look at the amount of, of, of money that is involved with, with baseball, like it generates plenty of revenue. They should be able to get something figured out. And uh, it just it's, it's ridiculous to me. They did schedule another meeting for Friday to discuss proposals not related to core economics. Um, it feels like if the part the sides are extremely far apart on that uh, meeting to get the other stuff done, uh, I guess it's like an appetizer before the entree. The entree is going to ultimately decide whether the season gets back going, but maybe you don't wait on the other stuff. Uh, while you while you wait for the freeze out on the big ones, um, maybe you try to get uh, to some of the other issues, uh, and then when you get that core economic proposal reworked and brought back, you've got some of the other stuff done. Um, it's hard to run because the longer that they go, the more spring training, regular season, exactly. games are affected. The more you lose the fans on both sides because yep. whether or not it's fair. To be arguing over the amount of money that both sides have is discouraging for fan bases. Yeah, and one thing I do think is is good that they're trying to work out is the luxury tax uh, part of it. I mean, you got teams like the Yankees just going completely overboard, the Angels, you know, the Dodgers, those type of teams. And then you got the Milwaukee Brewers or the Pittsburgh right. uh, Pirates. You know, you do want to have some type of balance, but at the same time, you don't want that to be a big thing that's causing the whole uh, pitcher to be eliminated. Well, I think, yeah, there's a, there's a number of things that are, are holding this up, which is especially bad because you already had a shortened season because of COVID that affected outcomes. But if you've got teams that can tank and still make so much out of revenue sharing, that's a terrible situation mm-hmm. for players to mm-hmm. play a super long season knowing that your ownership has zero interest in actually trying to win. Uh, you could get stuck there for a while, too. I think minimum salary is a big part of this. MLB somewhere around 630 in minimum salary, MLBPA at 775. That's the lowest, I think, Passon said in the major sports in terms of percentage of uh, revenue. So the, the young players are, are the ones that feel like they're not getting a fair shake. And then, of course, there's a lot of questions about um, about uh, uh, 
what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, time. Uh, when you're in the minors and then you get your time and then you, you know, what I'm talking about with Chris Bryant and the thing. Anyway, the word has uh, escaped me, but um, <laughs> that is obviously uh, service. Thank you. Service, service. time. Okay. Uh, I just thanked myself for remembering it. Uh, thanks, Brain, for showing up. Uh, service time uh, is uh, is obviously an argument. And, and that one's fair, I think, because when you manipulate it the way that the Cubs did, for, for instance, with Chris Bryant by a day or two um, to get a whole extra year of him and everybody knows that's what's happening you have a lot of trouble getting the players to move much from their position on that because that's just not fair um but i'm supposed to uh i'm supposed to be watching baseball next saturday and that ain't gonna happen you won't be doing that i'll turn my spring training into adult spring break which is fine that's very on brand for me i usually (laughs) figure out how to do that anyway uh let's get to the next story so there was some fallout from the Rams parade yesterday. We were joking about frat Stafford trending, and uh, he was enjoying himself. We had a lot of fun with Tom Brady tweeting him that he should mix in a couple waters. Well, some video emerged. Um, pretty scary, actually. Matt Stafford and his wife. I'm sorry, Matthew. Matthew, not Matt. Matthew Stafford and his wife, Kelly, were on a stage Um uh, after the team's Super Bowl uh, parade celebration. And Kelly Smiley, who's a photo editor for NFL, NBA, and NHL, and a freelance photographer, uh, was trying to take a picture of them on stage and stepped back and fell. And she fractured her spine, and both of her cameras were broken. And it happened directly in front of Matthew and Kelly, and there's video of them watching. And in the video... Stafford sort of says, oh, my God, and then just turns around and walks away. Kelly goes to the edge of the stage to check on her. And he was very, very criticized for his reaction. And uh, they have now said that they are going to cover her hospital bills and replace her camera. Uh, the Joint Stafford and Ram's statement. They really didn't have much of a choice, Duran, right? I mean, that video was not uh, not a good look. No, absolutely not a good look. And for that to be his reaction, this is kind of. Yeah, well, I guess, uh, you know, he was caught up in the moment of the per, uh, the celebration itself. But, I mean, that is the least that they could do. And, and let me tell you something. Those cameras, that, that equipment, that stuff yeah. is not cheap. So really it's really good that they did replace that for her because if she was stuck with, with doing that on her own, yeah. that, that would have been a huge obstacle for her to overcome. And I hope the young lady is able to, you know, get, get back. Uh, you know, anytime you have a fracture like that, uh, it's, it's something to be concerned about. Yeah, I like how you went to camera costs. I'm thinking medical bills. Uh, uh, I, you know, that, that stuff gets pretty pricey as well. Yeah. Um, I actually was in a, a restaurant on a third date out in L.A., sitting in a booth next to a bookshelf where they had a bunch of decorative things on it. And apparently just little movement over and over of the staff going in and out of the kitchen. A giant metal plate fell on me from the bookshelf mm-hmm. and sliced uh, my head open above my eye. And uh, same thing, the restaurant, you know, there's, oh, it's L.A., it's her face, we're going to get sued, it's going to be a big deal. And uh, they ended up just, you know, paying for the medical bills and offered me a free dinner. But every time I sent them a new one, they're like, it's more money? I'm like, yeah, I'm surprised too. But you don't want to go to Cedar sinai at 11 p.m. on a Saturday in the emergency room because they will charge you over and over and over again. So uh, I'm imagining that she is going to be sending all of those bills to the Rams and the Staffords, and that's going to help her a lot which is a, a good resolution for that. Wasn't a good look uh, for Frat Stafford, uh, but he had a few. We saw he had a few. Uh, coming up next on Spain and Fitz, what do we do with broken ADs next?
It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Teron Davenport in for Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Last night, uh, an already difficult, troubling season for Knicks fans got even worse as they blew a 28-point lead, lost to a Nets team without its superstars, a Nets team that had gotten some of the free agents Knicks fans had convinced themselves might be interested in coming to MSG, but instead... A 111-106 collapse that has people looking at a trend, Tehran. The third time in 11 days that they've blown a lead of 20 points or more. And a lot of fingers being pointed at Tom Thibodeau and him running players into the ground. I know Tibbs well from his time in Chicago. Lots of conversation about how much uh, usage guys get, their legs, their everything. But, man, if you look at this Knicks team, I think there were a lot of signs and people who broke down an expected regression to the mean after outperforming expectations last year and making some odd moves in the offseason. Yeah, and I mean, there's clearly a pattern of them not being able to close. And, you know, Walt Frazier, Willis Reed, they're not walking through that door. But one guy mm-hmm. that might be walking through the door is Derrick Rose. So, obviously, if he's able to to come back uh, soon, that would help them. But it's just a mess there uh, with this Knicks team and, you know, I, I think the NBA is better when, when the Knicks, the Lakers, and, you know, those are, are, are competitive teams, but they just have, have fallen off, and it's, it's, it's a shame. To your point, Rose has been out for almost two months, maybe a little over two months with an ankle injury. They expect him to maybe be back after the All-Star break. Um, they, man, they're, they're, at this point, they are reaching for the play-in tournament. That is the expectation. And Joe Fortenbaugh was on Barton Hahn today, and kind of summed up what I've been thinking since we started to see this Knicks team look so disappointing is the expectations were just too high. The team failed to properly evaluate who they were and what they were coming into season-wise. And what I mean by that is last year, let's start with Julius Randle. He had a career Mm -hmm. year, all right? Now you got to ask yourself, is that the norm or is that the outlier? Is Mm -hmm. Randle going to be able to perform at this level year in and year out? And the answer is no. You've seen enough from him throughout his career to realize that when you produce a career year like that, the idea, the very idea that you're going to go out and get that again, it's a long shot, right? It's an absolute long shot. That's not a knock on Randle. That's just the situation. That's why they call it a career year. So is it mostly about Randall for you? Is it about Tibbs not using his guys right? Is it about the additions to the roster that didn't lean into Tibbs' defensive style? Where, where are you pointing to the, the failures this year? Yeah, I think it's, it's about the additions that were made. I think that's really the case. And it's really, if you're going to have a coach who has such a defensive mindset like Thibodeau, you have to bring in guys that are going to be focused on defense. And you can't bring in liabilities. And I think you're, you're seeing just kind of like a, a a disconnect, I guess you could say. And uh, Julius Randle, he said that it, within the locker room, like his message is ringing clear, but it's obviously not transferring from within the locker room to the court. And that's where it all matters. So I think that's definitely a, a big thing. And then just to, speaking of disconnect, you know, the one between Campbell Walker and, and Coach Thibodeau mm-hmm. is, is obviously – at the root of all of it. Spain and Fitz, Teron Davenport in for Fitz. You talked about Randall. Um, you know, there was certainly a chance for him to build on last year and, and that most improved honor. And he signed a four-year, $117 million extension in the offseason and immediately scoring average down from 19.8 uh, to 19.8 from 24. Uh, his three-point range from 41% to 30% behind the arc. Um, 
do you look into trading him? Do you look into a different situation, location? Uh, do, you, do you think to yourself that you don't trust that he'll make it back up? And if you do want to trade him, how bad is his value right now in terms of what you're going to get back? Yeah, I think his value is really bad because not only do you have uh, the, the regression as far as the, the stats are concerned, I mean, let's not forget just, what, a month or, or, or two ago you had the – you know, thumbs down to the fans. So just the whole overall vibe itself is is, is not really there with, with Randall. And I, I'm not sure that you're going to get too much for him because, I mean, it, what what type of promise do you have uh, in the future with, with this guy? You know, and he had a career year last year. He's regressed. What, what is he? Like, what value? He right. comes across to me as, as what you would call a jag, right? Just a guy. Yeah. Uh, speaking of value and potential trades, Anthony Davis injured again. Um, man, the guy cannot catch a break, uh, no pun intended. And this leaves the Lakers in just such a difficult situation. They already were, Teron. I mean, I think we spent a lot of the offseason making jokes about the makeup of this roster. Uh, how many guys would break the record for DNP old? Um, and now they sit in ninth right now, 27 and 31. And when Anthony Davis goes out as well as LeBron James can play and as good of numbers as he's able to put up, uh, they just don't have enough. And, uh, Shea Cornette was, uh, on earlier today talking about how, listen, the, the finger has to be pointed back at LeBron, no matter how great his play is. LeBron can only do so much. You mentioned him scoring 15 in the fourth quarter. This team rides on his back. But he needs to take some accountability at this point. I'm not the first person to say this for what this roster looks like. They're a dumpster fire. They don't gel. There's not a lot of chemistry. Him and Anthony Davis are holding this things together. And, like, we've seen this roller coaster with Anthony Davis before, right? He gets hurt. He comes back. A game or two in, he shows up with a vengeance. He does it all. We start talking about the brow and why he's amazing. And then the cycle starts all over again. And it's just inconsistency at the nth degree. It is. And so you get the good vibes for the Lakers immediately ruined by yet another injury. He's expected to only miss maybe about two weeks, which isn't bad considering how bad the injury looked to his ankle, but you can't afford two weeks of, of another slide for the Lakers. Yeah. And I like how she mentioned that LeBron needs to take some responsibility because, you know, there's a guy who is uh, really having a, a really hot streak that could have been, with the Lakers, and that guy's name is DeMar DeRozan. And mm -hmm. there was a rejection there, and, and Russell Westbrook was the preferred choice. And, I mean, we know the situation with Westbrook. You got the fans begging him not to shoot, right? You got him, another guy that had gotten benched, and obviously the the it, just the, the chemistry is, is not there. So uh, that's what I look at first. But then when you look at Anthony Davis um, and the injuries that, that he's had, uh, even before he had the injuries, you know, the onus was really on him to step up and, and, and be a bit more aggressive in the paint and, and uh, with, with his game overall. And just everything is just kind of like falling apart for this Lakers team. I'm convinced, uh, not convinced, I, I'm, I'm confused on whether or not I, I think Anthony Davis getting traded is the right move. Um, there, there are concerns about value because of durability, but at this point you could still – get a big haul for him convincing people that the value of, w of what he can do on the court when he's healthy is worth it. But if you keep roll riding this roller coaster, keep having him miss games to injury, I just don't know if down the road you'll get much for him. And I don't think he's the guy you want to build around in the future. We don't know how many more years LeBron has left. We don't know um, if he'll stick around in L.A. Even if he is still playing, he might go somewhere else that is a better situation to win. 
And I wouldn't want to build around Davis. I would rather bring in assets, which they do not have because their roster is made up of old folks, and then use those assets and try to add a superstar that's somebody you can be more confident building. I just think his durability, he can't be the one that they're building, and he can't be uh, the future of the team. The problem is they're kind of stuck because what what star player are you going to get in return for, for Anthony Davis? And I, I you mentioned assets, but – Let's look at outside of John Morant. Like there aren't really too Couldn't many. Could you get a bunch of guys and then get a guy in free agency to be the star? Yeah, but a bunch of guys. So you, I, I don't, I don't believe in the the, the quantity over quality approach. You know, I, I, you can, hey, you can get them. They went out and got a bunch of guys uh, this year, and that clearly yeah, no, didn't no, work. But not, not old guys. Yeah, <laughs> up and no, coming, I, I feel you. I uh, feel reaching you. their prime soon, guys. Fill out a roster, which is what I mean. You're not going to have. Carmelo and Dwight Howard and Ariza and DeAndre Jordan and Russell Westbrook, all these guys for a long time. So Mm -hmm. do you sort of admit to a little bit of a rebuild, get some pieces and then go out and try to add that star power and free agency, hoping that people want to come play for the Lakers? I don't know. I don't think it's as simple as just looking at Anthony Davis. Do you think Anthony Davis is the future there? I think he's the nearsighted future, but <laughs> <laughs> down the line, like five years, no, I don't think so because, I mean, he's a big man. You know how, how it goes with big men. Like, they break down, you know, right. over time, and, and I guess that's starting to happen now. I, I just – I would find it hard for them to believe that they would just go ahead and, and, and burn the whole thing down and, and try to build mm-hmm. it back up because it's the Lakers, right? And yeah. they're always known for bringing in the star player and, and trying to make this happen that way. Because there's always enough people willing to come there that they could they could burn it down for a short time and build it back up. I'm glad you bought, uh, brought up DeMar DeRozan, by the way. 38 points last night on 16 for 27 shooting. First player in NBA history to have 35 points while shooting better than 50% from the field in seven straight games. Breaking a Wilt Chamberlain record in 1963. Mm. Like, that is a real record that he broke. That is that is not fluff, and he's been spectacular. Obviously, an MVP candidate holding together a Bulls team that's going to be so much better when Caruso and Ball get back, when Zach Levine is healthy. Um, I'm pumped. Heading into the All-Star break in first place in Chicago. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. Call or click today. Coming up, the Seahawks going all out to keep Russ in Seattle. Packers trying to woo Rodgers. More on both those guys next. We got we got distracted in the commercial break, and I just have to say, this Mike Bibby is trending because according to Lids, the number one destination for officially licensed headwear, apparel, and sports memorabilia. Uh, they have released the top-selling NBA jerseys by player for each state for the 2021-22 season. I'm not buying it. They say that Mike Bibby has the best-selling player jersey in Alabama, a state in which he has never played and from which he is not from. I just uh, allowed myself to introduce myself. Anyway, the point is, Mike Bibby, I'm not buying it. Yao Ming, the best in Montana? What? No, I'm sorry. First of all, Michael Jordan only having two states, I believe, potentially three, three states. I will guarantee you that Michael Jordan's jersey has sold in more states than Mike Bibby anywhere. This makes no sense. I'm not buying this. I think this is fake. Teron, I think this is fake. One thing they did get right was was Pennsylvania, though. Allen Iverson. 
That that's the one they did get right, but the rest of it, Steve Smith was one of them too, and I yeah. I, right, and it's this season, so I'm like the the LeBrons everywhere. All right, fine. It's this season. LeBron's still playing. Lakers jerseys can be like a fashion statement beyond just a statement about the player, but I don't know, man. I'm still not buying Mike Bibby this season in Alabama and Yao Ming in Montana. Come on. <laughs> Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Tron Davin, Port for Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. You can follow us at Sarah Spain at T Davenport underscore NFL. And the NFL is what we're going to talk about. We, we talked to Dan Graziano earlier about some of the quarterback movement or potential movement. Tron, do you think that we are going to have the offseason we keep teasing over the last couple years where we actually get some of these big names to move? Or are we going to be back where Russ goes back to Seattle, Rodgers is, is with the Packers, Wentz stays with the Colts, and maybe Jimmy G is one of the few that really makes a move? I think the latter, uh, what you said. I, I think there's a good chance that Wentz ends up somewhere else, but – uh, Jimmy G, uh, Garoppolo is pretty much, and he he said it, right, <laughs> on his last presser, he, you know, he's pretty much, a, it's a foregone conclusion that he'll be somewhere. But I, I just find it hard to believe the Packers will be able to, you know, move an Aaron Rodgers. There's going to be a lot of uh, conversation that would have to be exchanged for a guy like Rodgers. So I, I don't know if the Broncos are, are in a position to be able to, it, you know, take all that on. It would be interesting if it happens, but I don't think it does. And I think Russell Wilson remains in Seattle. Uh, you know, I'm biased as a as a Bears fan, as someone who used to be a big Aaron Rodgers fan and who was really turned off by the events of this season. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm wondering what you make of, of my thesis, which is that – or my supposition that it would have been a little bit easier for Aaron Rodgers to comfortably go anywhere – this offseason and feel like because of his talent reigning MVP again now that he would be received no questions asked everyone would be thrilled people would be going crazy I still think the majority of people would feel that way because they really just care about the football side but Mm -hmm. it's just a little more uncomfortable to step into a new media market to step into a new city because of what went down this year that there isn't that overwhelming everybody loves him kind of vibe that he would get from most fan bases were it not for what went down with the vaccination and everything else. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I could imagine him in a market like Philly or, or you know, New York or, or something like that, uh, having to deal with uh, the way some of those markets really go at, at play. That would, that would be an interesting back and forth. But you're right. You know, he kind of put himself in a light where it's like he, he's not that that guy that you're just like, oh, man, like he's a really good dude. Like I, I would enjoy writing stories about him. You know, that's that's something that he kind of pushed himself away from. He used to have, yeah. I mean, when he was uh, – I remember Mina, Mina Kimes did a profile on him, asked about Kaepernick. He didn't give much of an answer, and then he called her back a couple weeks later and said, you know, it didn't sit right with him to not speak up and that if people like him in the NFL didn't have enough power to speak to situations like that – then they would never change because there are so few players who truly have the talent and the leverage within that league to speak up and make statements without running the risk of being cut because in football, it's so much easier than anywhere else. Non-guaranteed contracts, the number of players on a roster, et cetera. And I really respected that about him. And unfortunately he just, he, he did a number on himself in a number of ways 
this year. I don't think, of course, most markets would care about that. He's an incredibly talented player, and I think um, most places would welcome him. But to me, it feels like there is a comfortability to Green Bay that maybe becomes even more alluring after the way this season went. Uh, also, uh, apparently, allegedly, uh, his engagement is off, so uh, mm. he doesn't have to worry about whether Shailene is enjoying uh, you know, butter burgers and cheese curds and would maybe like a different destination to live in. He, he can... Uh, Settle into the lazy boy at home by himself in Green Bay and figure out how he wants to spend the end of his career. Uh, as for Russell Wilson, yeah, it's hard to read, but the last we heard from him, he said his relationship with Pete Carroll's never been in a better spot. He wants to return. It does feel like that situation resolved itself a bit and that uh, I would be very surprised if he went somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at the relationship that he has with Tyler Lockett, Right. Uh, that's one of the things. I mean, I, I saw it firsthand watching them, just their communication and just how they're just constantly on the same page. And Lockett knows when to turn his, his route up, when Russell Williams, uh, excuse me, Russell Wilson uh, scrambles and things like that. I, I think that's something that, that is kind of floating under the radar and not getting the attention that it does. Just the chemistry that he has with the receivers. And you look at DK Metcalf as well. And uh, they're better uh, along the offensive line. I mean, you look at how many years. Russell Wilson was stuck with, you know, just a hodgepodge of, of offense alignment, and he still made it work. So I, I think, you know, big picture, you look at it, I think that situation has kind of solved itself, and it was fun to debate it and look at it. I know in Nashville here, you know, a lot of the, the local radio hosts were, were hoping that that's something that could happen, you know, a, a Tannehill trade that, that would bring Russell Wilson, but it's, it's not happening. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Teron Davenport filling in for Fitz. And I think also for his level of play, he didn't have a great season. And so he can build on that this year uh, with a second year in that system and then really make his money uh, coming out of next season. I don't know that now would be the right time for him to maximize his value as much as people still see him very well. Um, you know, after sort of an uneven year and with the opportunity uh, to build. I think he makes a better case for himself after this next season. Uh, Deshaun Watson, we didn't mention earlier. Uh, to me, it just feels like uh, they always say deadlines make, make action and there's a deposition coming up that might be why he's leaking to sources where he wants to play and the places he's looking at. But to me, I do not see a team making a move for him unless there is at least somewhat more clarity on the 22 active lawsuits against him for sexual assault and sexually inappropriate behavior. It, just something, a little bit more of a hint on either criminally what's going to happen or what the NFL might do. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, trading for him right now would be similar to, like, buying a car that you never test drove, right, or mm -hmm. even got to look at. And I, I think you do need some more clarity because, again, this is another deal that's going to, require a lot of compensation, and in order to, to do that, you need to know that, that things are coming together and uh, there's still a lot to sort through. Yeah, you, you have to know he can play for you, and then you have to start a massive campaign of convincing your fan base mm. that they should feel okay about what you've done. Yeah. And fortunately, a lot of NFL fans are sort of you know morally bereft, and so they'll, they'll be fine with it talent-wise, but you do have to consider all of that conversation uh, that needs to be put into it if there's any question marks still out there. Teron, thanks for, thanks for stepping in again. Appreciate it. No problem. Always a pleasure. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio.